Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Things that are interesting about the Kamala Harris situation. I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Uh, by the way, you may follow me on Twitter, at Brian Mud Radio on Twitter. My content gets sprinkled all over the interwebs on any given day, but all of my content lives. Uh, Brian Mudd, WJNO.com, you can find it. Back on Mar- May 29th, I'm an analyst, so went back through and, and took a look at everything up and down today has been declared the winner of the debate and is the new hot thing, which I did preview a month ago. But look at how radical she actually is. And that is the hot ticket in the Democrats' party. And so here is my message for you. If you are a Democrat, it doesn't matter what a Republican says. It doesn't matter what a conservative says. Because they don't listen to us. They listen to you. And if you want to take back your party, and if you really don't want to sit on your butt and wait for a government handout, but you do want liberty, you do want opportunity, you do want a better life, number one, Wake the heck up and take a look at the economy around you. Take a look at record low unemployment for women. Take a look at record low unemployment for black Americans. Take a look at record low unemployment for Hispanics. Take a look at how much more money you're making today than even a year ago. It's remarkable what's happening here. Would you rather... Vote against your own financial interest. That's one. But two, if you want your party back, you've got to send a message at the polls. The only way that the Democrats are no longer going to be the party that puts food on your table is if those politicians lose elections. Then they'll listen to you. Until then, you're screwed. And if they win elections, the country's screwed. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Well, I guess it's all hail, all hail the uh, the queen, Kamala Harris, because on day one, I'm going to repeal the taxes. Well, that's cool. I guess we just don't even worry about the Constitution anymore. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. And there are a couple of things that uh, you'll hear me say. If you're not familiar with my work, I operate on the premise. And uh, it's simple. If the premise of anything is false, anything built upon it is going to fail as well. And I also am one who operates with this mindset. There are two sides to stories, one side to facts. Now, we're all entitled to our own opinions, but opinions are useless until we've established the facts. And again, uh, but one set of facts. So let's start with Kamala Harris, Queen Harris in this particular case, where uh, she has articulated a false premise. Now, I, I suppose to the moderators... It's an easy enough thing to do. You, you just ignore the fact that, well, that's actually a law. And, and I, again, I would probably have to walk back the NBC moderators, let alone Kamala Harris, to a, a little bit of uh, you know, the, the Constitution, the way things work. But it, it's actually not a dictatorship. We, we do have a balance of powers. And when you have an act of Congress that is signed by the president, that legislation is, is law. And therefore, an executive does not have the ability on day one to, uh, say, for example, make that go away. So Kamala Harris will not be able to, on day one, as, as president, make the tax law go away. But that in and of itself shows a number of different problems that we've got. Number one, informationally. Number two, if you take a look at the overall uh, you know, the, the dearth of intelligence, thoughtfulness, and education in this country, remember it's rooted firmly in the education establishment to the point where my observation right there is not necessarily the most obvious thing. The observation that I offered at the onset of the show about Kamala Harris indicating uh, that Americans are interested in what they're going to be putting on our table rather than giving us the opportunity to become successful. These are all a, a false premise when we are considerate of these states united, our Constitution, and how we got here in the first place. Now, the most remarkable thing to me remains and we went from a ragtag group of, of colonies that ended up getting together, killing as many British people with as many weapons uh, of, of mass destruction or uh, as many assault rifles and as many assault rocks as we, we could find. We went from that, you know, killing as many British people as we could until they gave in to the world superpower in under 150 years. And it's but for one reason. It's for personal liberty. It's because unlike every other country in the world, we didn't adhere to the, the Queen Harris mindset there. You know, they even uh, were, were providing at the time of our founding the, the pathway, perhaps for Washington to become uh, essentially a monarch. And, you know, he was going to ensure we did not repeat the heirs. Going to ensure that we were a country that would grant liberty to all of us. And that is the, the ultimate key here. What is the premise of this country? 
The premise of this country is is us. The difference between us and almost the entire rest of the world is that in almost every other country, you have a government that tells you what rights you have as a citizen. In the United States, it's the complete opposite. We have absolute freedom only reigned in at the point where it infringes on someone else's life and liberty. And that is how we became so successful. That's how we became the world superpower in under 150 years. That's how we have a situation where the impoverished, the the federal definition of poverty, provides somebody in this country with greater than twice the income, twice the quality of life of the average citizen outside of the United States of America. Our impoverished have it twice as nice as the average person in the rest of the world. But what we've done is embrace a a false premise. Within our education establishment, we've allowed it to get away. We as as parents aren't good stewards of our kids. Don't make sure that they understand these foundation-based principles. We don't don't instill the the notion that it it would be unthinkable for someone like Kamala Harris, who very well might be the frontrunner for the Democrats for president by the time we get new polling next week, that, that she could say something as reprehensible as they want to know how we're going to put food on their table and that on day one, I'm going to undo a law. Those would be such obviously offensive and incorrect statements that it would be something you couldn't even recover from. It would be the Rick Perry oops moment. But instead, applause lines. That's how ignorant of a country we've become. But that's also why we're here, to keep you informed. We got more of it on the backside. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. You know, our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions, locked in the grip of political correctness. They no longer allow free and open discourse, rejecting the idea of objective truth, They peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. Now, as Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. And let me add, I think so much of Hillsdale College. I donated an original copy of a compilation of the Federalist Papers, which sit today as I speak at the Kirby Center. Hillsdale College, America's College. Nothing will change unless we have the guts to take on Wall Street, the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the military industrial complex, and the fossil fuel industry. If we don't have the guts to take them on, 
We'll continue to have plans. We'll continue to have talk and the rich will get richer and everybody else will be struggling. So I kid you not, there were like four different clips that I yanked from the burn and any one of them could have been from four years ago. You could have taken that from a debate back in 2015 with Hillary Clinton, and it would have been the same thing. It's, uh, hey, you, you got to give the bird credit for consistency. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, which a couple things, a couple programming notes. First, great one, he's in Israel. He's going to be broadcasting live on Monday from Jerusalem. How great is that? So you'll definitely want to tune in. And before then, on Sunday, do what I always do. If you haven't already, Make sure, make sure your DVR is set for the Fox News Channel, 10 o'clock for Life, Liberty, and Levin. Brand new one coming up this Sunday evening. And uh, also, just continues to kick butt and take names. Five consecutively. This is like one of the, the all-time great moments, too. On Freedom of the Press, his uh, number one bestseller, where he has a whole chapter dedicated to exposing the New York Times. And for five weeks running, number one of the New York Times bestseller list. That's just special fun right there. All right, so a couple things about the burn, about the the free stuff, about all the nonsense. I am an analyst by trade, so I take a look at what goes on here. And uh, someone asked me a question earlier this week about, is it even plausible? I know it's a bunch of crap, but is it even plausible to tax the rich enough to pay for free things? Just whatever. Well, here's something that's interesting. So if you take a look at the top 1%, well, what's the tax rate we should go to? We've even heard AOC say, hey, let's go back to 90%. It was once upon a time. Let's go back to 90%. Okay. Hey, well, why not just go to 100%? Well, why not just confiscate everything that is earned by the wealthiest individuals? Right? Yeah. That makes sense. So let's just say we, we confiscated every penny earned by the top 1%. You know what we could pay for? Not even half of what we're already spending. So here's the deal. In the most recent tax year, the federal government spent $4.1 trillion. All right? $4.1 trillion going out the door. Now, if you take a look at every last penny brought in by the top 1%, $2 trillion. Eh, a lot of money, no doubt, a lot of million. But two trillion. So, with what we're already doing, if you took, if you confiscated a hundred percent, you can't even pay for half of what's going on, let alone any more of the freebies. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. And by the way, the top one percent account for nineteen percent of the earnings. You already pay thirty-seven percent of the taxes, and. For those earning under $50,000 a year, you know that over 40% don't pay any federal income tax. And the average net effective tax rate for those that do is 5%. So, I mean, let's ever get a real moment. But again, this isn't about facts and information in the first place, is it? Uh, (laughs) It's only, it's only the first debate that we just got through. A year from now, we're still months away from the presidential election. Imagine what we're going to uh, run into by then. All right, let's go to Rob in Jersey. Rob, welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call, Ryan. Um, You know, as as you know, I um, barely watched that debate. I, you know, it's not even five minutes that I look at it live stream uh, on YouTube uh, from NBC. And when I look at the like, dislike, 
there are a whole lot more dislike. That right there tells me already what to expect. But, you know, about Kamala Harris, okay? Uh, the one thing that rubbed me the wrong kind of way about uh, her is she can moralize about one thing but not on others, okay? Uh, that's a situation that she had not really uh, addressed, and for that matter, Cory Walker as well. Um, wasn't Joseph Smollett a hoax and was proven to be a hoax? Sure. Uh, the both of them did not, did not disavow him, did not denounce or condemn uh, Justice Smollett. Justice Mullet was a hoax, true and true. Okay, Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. Okay, uh, she has never been disavowed yeah. by either Cory Booker or Kamala Harris. Yeah, right. Uh, she has never been, you know, condemned or denounced by the Black Congressional Caucus. Yeah, so you, you've teed up a couple, uh, a couple different points that are worth addressing. First, the the Jesse Smollett situation. Okay, so yes, I mean, look, we have a, a preponderance of evidence that suggests that it absolutely was a setup. Now, under the law, uh, we do actually have a special prosecutor now that uh, will get to the bottom theoretically of what really took place there, and and will press charges. In the grand scheme of the political parlance, other than just using the opportunity, kind of like Obama did, you know, one this is always one of the uh, greatest shames that that occurred with the prior administration to me because politics are politics but when you actually ruin people's lives and you utilize that post to assume guilt and to uh you know take half the country essentially and convince them of something that isn't true it, it, that to me is is incredibly offensive for example how many people think that uh trayvon martin was ultimately the victim if President Obama had a son, look like Trayvon, right? How many people think that uh, Michael Brown was hands up, don't shoot? How many people thought the Duke lacrosse team raped that woman? See, that's the problem when you do have politicians, especially in in Barack Obama's case, as, uh, as a president advocating a position the way he did, assuming. So I do not have a problem. If people do not want to assume things prior to the legal process having played out, though, yes, they did all jump in front of it and and try to make racial hay with the Jesse Smollett situation when everybody was taking it at face value originally. Now, when you're talking about the anti-Semitic situation, that is fascinating for a different reason. It, It used to be that your average Jewish individual would, was a hardline Democrat in this country. And I'm here in South Florida where we have, you know, next to the Northeast, the highest percentage of Jewish people in the country. And I have not seen uh, anything like what I've seen over the past couple of cycles. Everybody, I think, in the outside world is familiar with Boca. If you're familiar with Boca, it's a heavily Jewish community down here. And Boca, Boca Raton, voted for Donald Trump last election. If you take a look at the entire city, Donald Trump won Boca. I had never seen where a Republican had won Boca in the presidential election previously. Things are changing with people that are listening and paying attention. And now that anti-Semitism has become a mainstream Democrat position, without a doubt, without a doubt, there's going to be an impact. Uh, And you're right that it has been embraced conveniently by uh, 
Kamala Harris and any number of other politicians on the left. It's what can I win with today? And if it's the anti-Semitic message and I can do it to a small enough audience over here, theoretically, I'll do it. And then when I'm out there in the open, I'll deny it. Kamala's been doing that all day today just from things she ended up saying in last night's debate. All right, let's go to Brian in Memphis. Hey, Brian, go. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking the call. Ben. I just wanted to uh, comment, uh, talk about Bernie Sanders, and uh, basically the, the, I'll say it, the lie that he pitched on national TV last night when he stood up there and said that, you know, if he's elected president, he's going to, you know, install, you know, free Medicare for all and free Medicare for illegal immigrants. And then he reiterates that, that saying that he will raise our taxes. Well, yes. I'm not by any means a very good student of math, but anyone with a basic working knowledge of mathematics can understand that if you raise tax A, federal tax A, by a fraction, and then you raise federal tax B by a fraction, and then C, and then D, and et cetera, you take all those fractions and all those taxes that they've added up, and you have to come up with a sum, and you apply that to to Medicare for all, supposed to be free. You pay for that through those taxes. Mathematically, Medicare is not free. And yeah. <laughs> I, just hope, I just hope that, you know, I'm afraid that obviously there's a, you know, a, a, I'm hoping a very, very, very small um, section of the country that is that naive. Yeah, Brian, we're going to get there. And, and here, in venues like this, part of the way that this message is going to be won. This was a, a teachable moment as well. Came up within the past couple of weeks. So Medicare for All, you may recall that earlier this year, there were a couple of polls that came out that suggested that solid majorities of Americans were ready for Medicare for All. It was part of the reason that so many Democrats at once went for it. Based on the poll you're looking at, anywhere, I think the number's like 59 to close to 75% of Americans were like, yeah, Medicare for all. In fact, you even had in those polls, in some cases, over 30% of Republicans saying, yeah, Medicare for all. Now, what ended up being rather amusing to me from an intellectual standpoint, Kaiser Permanente, which deserves everything that may come their way. If we ever end up traveling down the path of government-run health care, Kaiser Permanente, along with a lot of the other health insurance companies, were the biggest supporters of Obamacare. Why? Well, because it took their product and it mandated it. Now, the rest of us in the real world recognize a couple things. One, the greatest obstacle in healthcare today is a lack of transparency. The biggest problem, truthfully, in healthcare is the insurance first model. Insurance companies are the problem, the way that we're set up. It's bat crap crazy that we walk into a medical service provider. We have no idea what's going to happen when we get inside. We have no idea what it costs, nor do, for that matter, the people that are actually providing the services to you, if you ask them. But we are conditioned to sign a piece of paper that says, for the crap I don't know that's going to happen once I get in there, that I don't know what it's going to cost, I'm going to pay whatever an insurance company doesn't. That is bat crap crazy. And that's what we've been conditioned to do in this country. So, you know, secondarily, until and unless we break the back of the insurance first model and we have consumer price transparency, which the president signed an executive order on uh, earlier this week, 
Hey, that we are not going to solve the real crisis in healthcare. That is the path forward. Is actually knowing what something costs and being able to shop for service like we do with everything else. This set of emergencies. But relative to Kaiser and the Medicare for All situation. So they were these big supporters of Obamacare because, yes, our product has to be purchased. But without the foresight to realize that when you do the dance with socialists, you're going to get burned somewhere along the way. Because that was the stepping stone to government-run health care. So Kaiser... Got scared recently, going, holy crap, what have we done? Now people are saying, Medicare for all, we've got to stop this. So they actually got out there and did some honest research. And they pulled people across the country on Medicare for all. And they started asking them questions about it. And it turns out, the average American doesn't know what the hell Medicare for all is. You know, the average American who said they supported Medicare for all? They simply thought that everybody would have health care. That's the long and the short of it. When they actually asked people specific tenets of it, you had fewer than 20% that knew that it would totally eliminate the private insurance market. You had fewer than 20% of people who realized that it would be run by the federal government. And when you take a look, and they also polled on how happy are you with your current health care options and service, 69% of Americans said at least good. And when you add in those who said excellent, 80%. So 8 out of 10 Americans think that their health coverage right now is either good or excellent. So the truth is, at whatever point the average American is educated about this, you're not going to have to worry about the Medicare for all thing. And yes, the numbers don't work as I was articulating at the onset of the segment. But this, again, gets back to education in this country. And let it be a lesson learned for the insurance companies as well. You do the dance with socialists, and for all the big technology companies, too. We're going to talk about Google later in the show and uh, what Project Veritas exposed. But all of them, big leftists, right? Well, now what do they want to do to you? They want to take you out. Be careful when you align with socialists because you're going to get burned. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
This economy has got to work for everyone. And right now we know that it isn't. And it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Yeah! I mean, why not? I love the random pandering. It's been funny. Uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And we're used to ridiculous, uh, ridiculousness in South Florida in elections in, in every respect. So nothing surprises me. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the real complaints, like with local media down here, especially coming out of the first night's debate, no issues were focused on South Florida, which was naturally going to be the case. Because let's be clear, there are two things that had to occur here for the majority of the people on the stage either night. They got to just try to simply get to Iowa. Remember, the majority of these people do not have money, including our friend Robert Francis O'Rourke that you just heard from. They do not have money. They do not have the campaign structure to get to Iowa right now. So they have to show that they are somehow or another viable enough to get the money, to get there, to to actually have the votes. There might be four or five candidates that actually have what they need, enough juice to to actually even get to 2020. Now, that being the case, (laughs) you got to love the one person who, who stepped out there and did some random pandering that had nothing to do, by the way, with the actual answer. Uh, But one of the more fascinating elements that's played out here over the past three days. So there was this ritual, and it played out with the 10 candidates on the the first day. And then also uh, today with the other 10 from night two, the Homestead Detention Center. You may have heard about this. It's one of the child detention centers. Now, the one thing I do agree with uh, with these Democrats is I want to shut it down. But I want to shut it down because we don't have a crisis at the southern border. I'd like to shut it down because we don't have illegal immigrants that are bringing minors over our border. How about that? But one of the the great disappointments, as they all would go with their bullhorns, their like Al Sharpton-style bullhorns, out at the Homestead Detention Center and, and shout platitudes, is that more of them didn't stay. See, Elizabeth Warren in particular. She had my favorite moment of the week down here, the Homestead Detention Center. On Wednesday, before her debate, she said that we are not going to leave here until they shut this down. Now, I do think, I do think we can say with absolute clarity that Elizabeth Warren is no Pocahontas. Because Pocahontas never would have left her reservation. It's so sad. Not going to leave until they... And then she was at the debate. It would have been so much more cool if they had, like, tried to patch her in from the Homestead Detention Facility. Uh, Anyway, I got a story I'm going to share with you. More people, more guns, less crime in Florida. That's coming up. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. Now, our party doesn't talk about that as much. Largely for a very good reason, which was we are committed to the separation of church and state, and we stand for people of any religion and people of no religion. But we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity, 
to say that it is okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone putting children in cages, has lost all claim to ever use religious language again. Hmm. There are so many things there, so many things to unpack in just over 30 seconds. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. The most remarkable part, once again, about Mayor Pete in that 34-second clip, him establishing so many falsehoods, is that not only does he get away with it, but he's presented as being the thoughtful, intelligent, rational option in this debate, in this primary process. Now, how outrageous can it possibly be when you are suggesting that you are not able to talk about faith if you enforce the law? And if that sounds odd to you, it's because you don't know enough about the law, let alone the Constitution, because once again, the premise of what he said was absolutely false. I'm Brian Munn, in for the great one, Mark Levin, your South Florida friend. I do a show, morning show, the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. I do the Brian Mudd Show shortly thereafter for WIOD in Miami, a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. And this is always one of my favorite places to be at any time. Love getting the opportunity to guest host for Mark Levin. You may find my content. It all lives at WJNO.com. Just find the uh, Brian Mudd page. And uh, you can also get uh, the Brian Mudd Show on iHeartRadio for all my podcast content as well. And uh, on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio there. Uh, But a couple things that are foundation-based in what Buttigieg said there. The first is, we are committed to the separation of church and state, which once again does not exist. Now, What does exist, and for the educated, you know this, there shall not be an establishment of a state religion. The reason this matters, once again, the time of our founding, what happened? Well, we were getting away from monarchies. We were getting away from the British. We were getting away from the idea that the government told you what you were going to do, what you were going to think, what your rights were. So the establishment of a state religion, that means that the Church of England, for example, is not going to happen in the United States. You're not going to have the Church of the United States, and this is the ideology that you have to adhere to. That's what it means. There's no such thing as separation of church and state. There never has been. So that Pete Buttigieg, that the godless souls and slanderous people in news media, that apparently are the godless souls and slanderous people that Mayor Pete Buttigieg and the Democrats represent these days, that they are committed to it means that they are not committed to the Constitution of the United States of America. You might even say it's anti-American, Pete. So, perhaps search for some education, or at least dedicate your political life to our Constitution, rather than something that doesn't exist. That's one. But the most patently offensive part of what he articulated should be the obvious. Once again, godless souls and slanderous debate moderators didn't say boo. It didn't make the rounds in Democrat circles that anything he said there was overwhelmingly outrageous and offensive. Now, the cages, first and foremost, I referenced the... uh, in the last hour, 
the Homestead Detention Center. This just in. There are not cages there. Second, to the extent that you see pictures of cages, you know where those were? Well, those were in facilities when Barack Obama was president. See, the first thing is, the existing policy that's in place has been in place since the Clinton administration via federal court ruling, the Forrest case. And this just in, we are not allowed to take minors and put them in the same detention facilities with adults. Now, why might you not do that? See something that might go wrong when you have a bunch of people that are in this country uh, illegally that are in close proximity to minors? So it is federal policy, federal law in the United States of America that they have to be separated while they're waiting to be processed. So until and unless you decide you want to change the law or just say, yeah, yeah, you know what, it's cool. We want to make sure that we want all minors in close proximity to adults that are strangers. Cool? Cool. All right. Now, that is the first intellectual inconsistency. This is not a Donald Trump policy. This is a Bill Clinton policy, a George W. Bush policy. This is a Barack Obama policy. It's actually been in practice far less given that Donald Trump has only been president for two and a half years. But then... To invoke faith. Now, here's the first thing for the godless, soulless, and slanderous Pete Buttigieg. You are the party of the faithless. And I'm not saying that for rhetorical purposes. See, everything I say is fact-based. Premise of anything is false. Anything built upon it is too. Two sides of stories, one side of facts. So the Pew Research Center has done research on this. And the, the Democrats are the party of the faithless. According to atheists, you see, 69% of atheists are Democrats. Only 15% identify as Republicans. So the first reason why that you represent that constituency is not because you're the party of the faithful. It's because you're the party of the unfaithful. That's one. But two, to then assert that adhering to federal law means that nobody of faith, no Republican, no Christian, for example, has any right to invoke faith or to talk about it. And nobody in the godless, soulless, and slanderous news media, none of those godless, soulless, and slanderous moderators, I mean, they're NBC, so what do you expect? But nobody would call them on that. That none of the other godless, souls and slanderous candidates on that stage would be offended enough to put them in his place. That is morally and on every, every intellectual level, insulting. It's wrong. And at least in avenues like this, that kind of crap doesn't play. But again, it's been mainstreamed in media. It's been mainstreamed in Democrat politics. And you got to ask yourself again, what kind of country do you really want? Now, I, I do have the, the letter side of the whole Pete Buttigieg thing. Remember a few weeks ago when he uh, was saying that uh, I think it was an Axios interview that he, if he were elected, would not be the first homosexual president. I'm just that kind of guy because I'm a research guy and I analyze. I wanted to know, you know what? What are the actual odds? And this plays a role too in the information flow. When you actually take a look at the percentage of people who are homosexual versus those uh, that we have information about, 
there is a great disconnect. Now, I think we can all agree. Is it safe to say that uh, Donald J. Trump is not homosexual? Cool? Yeah? All right. So that's probably something we can all agree on, even Mayor Pete. But is that necessarily true of all prior presidents? Now, we know that due to society-based expectations in times previous, no shortage of people that really were homosexual, that were married and, and even had kids. In fact, uh, back in the 90s, I, I did know a guy. He's 47 years old. He had four kids. He came out. He divorced his wife and then became fairly flamboyant. I was like, wow. It happened, right? We know that there are a number of homosexual people over the course of time that even have families. Okay, fine. But what about presidential homosexuality? So, when we take a look at the most likely outcome here, we might have. We might have had one. The 15th president of the United States, James Buchanan, he was single throughout his presidency. He remained so until he died. And for that reason, going all the way back to his time as president, there had actually been a rumor that he was homosexual. Now, it's possible, but unless there's some kind of new revelation that's unearthed, some documents that we're never going to know. But back to the odds. We've had 45 presidents, right? So what percentage of the country actually is homosexual? You start asking people, you get some crazy numbers, especially if you start asking kids. You'll get numbers as high as 10, 15, 20%. See, the, the problem in getting a true read is that as we've seen a rise in people that are supportive of the LGBTQ whatever movement, You've also seen more people that are identifying as being homosexual. Now, this just in, if we adhere to science, and I do, you know, I, I never personally decided, you know what, I could go either way, but, uh, you know, I choose women, right? Uh, you probably did not do that. Whatever your sexuality is, I'm guessing you didn't sit there and flip a coin and go, all right, we'll go that way. It's pretty natural. So I, I go with the science-based idea that we are born that way. Okay, cool. So we're on the science path here. Something that Mayor Pete will approve of, I'm sure. So given that's the case, we would have some historical context on this information. And given that human history stretches back for at least 300,000 years, that's the oldest human bones that we've carbon dated, it would not be scientifically possible that we would see a doubling of homosexuals, saying like the last 10, 15 years, would it? Probably not. So for that reason, if you take a look at the most recent polling, we actually see, like, Gallup polled 4.5% of people say they are homosexual in the United States. 29% increase in just seven years. Not going to be the real deal. However, however, if you take a look at England's Office for National Statistics, they are the oldest accredited organization that has been surveying and working on sexuality. Going back to the 1950s, they've done this. And what they found is that based on country... Anywhere from about 1.1% to 2.7% of people really are homosexual. So, back to presidential homosexuality. That means that for about every 100 presidents, we probably have about two. That if we were just elected presidents as a overall representation of the American public at large, you would actually have two homosexual presidents. We're up to 45 so it's possible we've had one. Who knows? Maybe James really was the first. There you go, Mayor Pete. You might be right about something. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'.
If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add, but this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve, and subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. But in the African-American civil rights community, another place to focus on was to stop the lynching of African-Americans. We do not talk enough about trans-Americans, especially African-American trans-Americans, and the incredibly high rates of murder right now. We don't talk enough about how many children, about 30% of LGBTQ kids, who do not go to school because of fear. All right, that would be almost like a bless-his-heart moment for Cory Booker. (laughs) Yeah, came across that one, I'm like... It reminded me of of something, and and it was actually when I moved to South Florida uh, nearly 14 years ago. So uh, one of my all-time favorite radio executives, he's uh, since moved on, but he he was my boss when I I moved to South Florida. And we talked about a plan of attack to win. Anytime you're new to a market, you don't have a built-in audience. So you've got to establish yourself, and you got to, to figure out what your strategy is going to be if you're going to have success. Otherwise, you're just kind of guessing at it. So we had an approach of winning somewhere, and the idea was, okay, we're going to figure out what we can do to achieve success with my show, with the station. And once we win there, then we can focus on another area and look to win there, and you continue to expand, and you grow that way. And all I could think with Cory Booker, is that he's trying to win somewhere. And by God, Cory Booker is is going to be the candidate of the African-American transgender American that is underrepresented. And we're not talking about the African-American transgender American issues enough. So Spartacus is your guy. He's got your back. All right, now, uh, the one thing that the very offensive Pete Buttigieg ended up, uh, Lena, it was about immigration, right? Now, one of the things I've been working on extensively for quite some time, in fact, the last time I uh, actually joined the the great one, Mark Levin, was, uh, what was it, about a month and a half or so ago, actually uh, calling into the show and, and talking to Mark about uh, the situation is getting ready to go on in, in South Florida. And I was able to expose it, and we were able to get it stopped. Got the, the governor and the president to get involved. They were going to dump in South Florida just over 8,000 illegal immigrants per month. And so I've been uh, very active in working on these illegal immigration stories. If you recall some of my previous work, if you've listened, when I've guest hosted for uh, for the great one, I uh, ended up very early on talking about Pueblo San Fronteras and how they were involved in advertising and organizing these caravans in Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and then marching them up with the organization to our southern border to try to overwhelm our system in the first place. But anyway, is illegal immigration the biggest problem? Now, this is interesting, the context of 2020 politics, because according to us, the answer is yes. Or 
it's as big of a problem as it's ever been. So Gallup just wrapped up some work on this. They've done immigration work going back to 93. Back then, only 3% of Americans said, yeah, it's a top issue. Now, we've had a lot happen in, in 26 years, including dramatic increase in the number of Americans who believe no greater need to be addressed than immigration. Right now, 23% of Americans say the number one issue in this country today is immigration. The only issue that polls higher, according to Gallup, is the government itself. Amen. But anyway, to that point, here's the deal. If you go back to the 2016 presidential election cycle, we know what a cornerstone of Donald Trump's campaign illegal immigration was. We know about the wall and how central that was to his message. Back then, in the same Gallup polling, only 10% of Americans, only 10% viewed immigration as a top issue. If we're at 23% right now, what does that tell you about the implications for this upcoming cycle? Especially when only one person, really, in, in either party or in politics in this country, period, have real crystal clarity on where they stand and real credibility on this issue. And it's Donald Trump. So if he won with a message that was only a top issue to 10% and it's more than doubled, not only is Donald Trump on the right side of history with this particular messaging, but Donald Trump is positioned exceedingly well to be able to pull off wins in places that people might not have thought previous. I'll bring you a bit more of that information coming up on the backside as well. See, solid majorities of Americans, including Democrats, still don't believe that Im- illegal immigration is acceptable. And that, by the way, includes nearly two-thirds of legal, legal immigrants. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit. But most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Uh, Vice President of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. <laughs> what? 
what just happened there? Anybody know? I'm not sure if by the end of that we actually ended up with maybe a, 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 a considerations for homo, homosexual busing. What, what, what was that, Joe? <laughs> Just and Kamala, you would have been able to ride your bus. Wait, where, Joe? Where would she been? You know, I, I don't know. Located somewhere? It's like, holy cow! Now I, I, I feel like uh, stand up, Joe, or no? Everybody else, stand up for Joe. Poor guy. Not uh, not his, his finest moment, perhaps. All right. Brian Mudd in for the uh, great, great one, uh, Mark Levin. And let's go to Caroline in New Orleans. Love New Orleans. In fact, uh, live in Slidell for a short time. How you doing, Caroline? Hi. I'm doing well. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. What do you got for us? So, uh, it's first-time caller, right? Um I've listened to Levin. I, well, let's uh, let me start. I'm a former conservative. I'm also a transgender army veteran. And, Thank you for uh, your service. I've seen a lot of life from both sides, and um, uh, I, I think um, you know from a from a former conservative. I, I think well, I just don't understand where you're coming from. I see a lot of what the um, the progressives. Are talking about, and I can understand it after having been uh, treated the way I've been treated, you know, and living life. I mean, I used to be, like I said, a conservative, born again, all that stuff. And sure. when I transitioned, uh, not only did my life change, but my outlook changed on a whole bunch of things. And I think you're wrong on the, the godless, soulless, whatever you call the progressive. Um, the well, uh, specifically the the approach was godless souls and slanderous. It's uh, something I use j- typically for news media. But I, w- where I applied, people who lie and do it at will, and then allow other people to lie and use other people to lie to slander other people, such as in this particular case with Mayor Pete, he happened to be slandering law abiding citizens that might adhere to Christianity, for example. So I don't take too kindly to that. But I would agree that uh, intolerance, generally, not not a, a an ideal situation. Now, Caroline, um, I'm, I'm curious. What was it in particular? Is it social uh, or something else that led to you leaving as a, a conservative and, and heading to the progressive camp? Uh, well, the, well, I mean, number one, it's the way I've been treated and the way I've been seeing people treated who um, are similarly disadvantaged, but it's not just the trans people. I mean, now I can see how poor people have been treated, how the blacks have been treated and discriminated, discriminated against in this country through systematic, um, so, systemic. Um, um, so this is great. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, and and the, the disconnect here, and, and this is what I want to address, you know, factual information versus getting caught up in a particular movement, for example. You know, if we take a look, you mentioned, uh, you know, black adults, for example. Well, what party was the, the party of Lincoln? How were they emancipated? Well, it was the Republican Party, right? It's, and what was the party of the KKK, of white supremacy? It was the party of the, the Democrats. That's why uh, for most of, of history, most of this country's history, what you tend to say, people think about uh, red and blue states. It, the map was flipped. Back then, the, the northern states were the red states. And the southern states 
those were your blue states. And where you had your, your racists, your white supremacists, uh, the, the Civil War crowd down here in the, uh, the, the southern states, they were the, the very origin of the people that you're talking about now. And what I would offer up to you, if you take a look, in, like in today's economy, you say how blacks have been traded. Well, we have record low unemployment for black adults right now. We have record high wages for black adults right now. We have record high home ownership for blacks right now. If they are being targeted for ill by this administration and doing one heck of a, a bad job of doing it. And, and that's my, my question here, Caroline, is it that you have you were treated un, poorly by some bigots? Because if you were treated poorly by some bigots and if you know some other people that are treated poorly by some bigots, I'm right there with you. And if they call themselves Republicans, I don't identify with them. And, and you shouldn't have to deal with that. But that doesn't mean that is the origin of the, the politics that we're talking about. So for you, Caroline, is this something to where you dealt with some nasty people and they happened to identify with the politics that you used to identify with and, and they treated you poorly when you went through this conversion? And so then you got caught up in this political moment, movement. Or is there something that is substantive, like from a policy standpoint, that you disagree with now. Okay, can I talk now? Because you've been patronizing me all along, and I don't appreciate how? that. How? How? You're trying to apologize to me for how I've been treated and possibly I'm acting like this because I've been treated badly? Don't patronize me. How? Right? I mean, hey, I, see, you're being emotional. So I'm, I'm asking you substantive things. I asked you, again, on policy, is there any policy that you can point to well, yes. Is there any policy as a trans woman? Are you kidding me? Is there? Yeah. What policy? How about when I was kicked out of the army? How about when uh, health care has been denied for trans women? How about when uh, we can't get our documentation straight? Uh, okay. About- okay. Okay. Cool. So now we got something, and and now this is the the line of de- demarcation. I do appreciate you listening. So now I have something to roll with. See, the issue here is. What ultimately is the responsibility for people in the military and for health care? When you say, you, you know, you, you had a problem when you were in the military because you were going through the conversion, the purpose of being in the military is to be ready to serve. And if it is determined by those in the, the command structure that you're not able to serve because of whatever the situation is, that does create an issue. And, and so having, number one, that priority take precedence over the readiness to serve the country. I, I defer to those that are in command. That's not a Republican-Democrat thing. That's a military thing. The second is, when you are in the military, and, and this is a substantive issue, I'll agree with you. It's certainly not a conservative one. Why is it that the American taxpayer should have to pick up the bill for something that is elective? And that is the problem that we've been seeing time and again with these conversions in the military. When you're talking about health care. So you believe ultimately that all of us that are part of the plans, health care plans, should be subsidizing the conversion. That's not conservative. So you're right. From a policy standpoint, you are not a conservative. So that's cool. We've accomplished something here. Uh, it's, it's not about a party. It is very much about you wanting other people to pick up the tab 
for your elective decisions. And, and, you know, God bless you. It's your life. It's your choice. But to have other people subsidize it and get mad when they don't and to blame them for it, that's a you thing. Sorry. Let's go to Casey in Tallahassee. Casey, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, uh, Brian. I just want to thank you and uh, uh, how right you were on that. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I just want to make a comment on the uh, the debates. Um, for one, um, they, you know, my 10-year-old could have done better at asking the questions. They weren't even asked about their districts or anything like that. They were asked about, you know, um, things like, oh, the illegal immigrants. Well, let's give them free health care. Well, it ain't free, for one. It comes from us working people, um, you know, because we got to pay the taxes on that and flip the bill. Inconvenient truth, yes. <laughs> yes. And number two, they complained about these kids in cages. All right. For one, I've heard this for the last two, three weeks now, kids in cages, these kids done this, these kids, uh, they're treated poorly, blah, blah, blah. Think about where they come from. That concrete floor probably feels like a, co- a queen sort of mattress compared to where they would come from. Well, you know, the, the bigger thing, Casey, picking up on that point, I'm not as inclined to, to get in, involved in, in that level of, of texture about whether the conditions are better or worse. Maybe, maybe not. The bigger issue is this, and nobody wants to talk about it. First and foremost, the people that are going into these detention facilities, these kids, they're being utilized. We've, uh, I've got, uh, I don't even know how many different stories I've done on the percentage and the number and the volume of people that have essentially been trafficking kids because it is easier to gain access to the asylum system if you get to our southern border and you look like you're a family unit because family units have been prioritized in the asylum process. Now, what we have seen so far since December 21st of last year, through the most recent report that came out of the Department of Homeland Security, 98.5%, 98.5% of those who have come across seeking asylum have been denied. They've been determined to be illegal immigrants, not legitimate cases of asylum. And so the, the biggest issue here is you really just have illegal immigration that's taking place, that's gaming the asylum system, utilizing kids to do it in the first place. Now, to the extent that there are parents that are involved and they're not kids that are being trafficked, literally sold off or stolen in some cases by these traffickers to try to create a false family unit at our southern border, it's on them. It's on them. Nobody wants to say that it's their fault that as a parent they would put their kid in that situation. But there's absolute clarity. And again, this never has been controversial. The idea, would we ever, and this is the comparison, by the way, would we ever have a child detained along with their parents being detained and have the child thrown into a detention facility with other adults? Would we ever do such a thing? No. There would be moral outrage if we ever put kids in harm's way that way. That's what they want to do. Now, because the asylum system's been overwhelmed, it's taken an average of greater than six months for a case to be heard anymore. And our law, after the Forrest case in the 90s, said that if it's going to be more than, I think, 20, 30 days, you have to have them separated. So every single minor that is brought across our southern border for somebody who's seeking asylum, they know going in they're going to be detained. And for all these Democrats, for all these politicians, for all these 
dishonest individuals that are out there that try to say this is politics or Trump's decision. No, Donald Trump can't do a damn thing about it. It is the law. Now, there are two things that need to happen. The first is we do need to stop the flow. Now, thankfully, the president with this policy with Mexico does seem to be making a difference at the margin. First and foremost, stopping the flow of the caravans and Mexico. And then secondarily, the 15,000 troops that are now being deployed to the northern border. We really do have an indication that Mexico is taking this seriously enough to begin to thin the herd at our southern border. That's helpful. But the second piece is to send a message loud and clear that it's not going to work. Now, if they knew that 98.5% of the time they were going to be deported if they tried this, they probably wouldn't try it. But here's the problem. Because the system's so overwhelmed, what's actually happening, though 98.5% of these people that are seeking asylum are just illegal immigrants, because we don't have room in the facilities, it's catch and release. So they are processed by our courts. Then they are released back into society, and they never report again. That's why they're doing it, because it's working. And that's what's got to stop. And that's why when the president outlined the deportation plan that was going to begin to take place, it, it, need, it needed to happen, and it needs to happen. Because that's the only way there will be a loud and clear message that is sent that it will not be tolerated, it will not be successful, and to discourage any of these people from paying the money, paying the coyotes, and attempting to to get to our southern border with those kids in the first place. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, that's BrickhouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, BrickhouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. literally every single day, 10 minutes away from going to war, one tweet away from going to war, and I don't think we should conduct foreign policy in our bathrobe at 5 in the morning. (laughs) The creepiest part of that one, Amy Klobuchar, thinking about Donald Trump in his bathrobe, because otherwise, why would she mention it? But me thinks that you do not know what literally means literally, Amy, because if we were literally... 10 minutes away from war, and he's been president this long, I think we literally would be in war. But this is one of the most fascinating elements of the Trump presidency. 
It was the narrative during the campaign. Oh, my gosh. Can you really trust this guy with the button? Oh, my gosh. This guy is a lo- such a loose cannon. Uh, two sides of stories, one side of the facts. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Do we have more or less war today? Do, 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 do. Oh, less. less. We actually have much less war going on right now that we're involved in than we did with the Obama administration. Anybody remember, oh, I don't know, Libya? Anybody remember the Arab Spring? Anybody remember Syria? Eh, you know, oh, ISIS. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, inconvenient truth, once again, that we actually have less war that's going on right now. You know, it's funny because isn't that exactly what the conversation was back in the 80s? You know, Reagan, oh, my gosh, that guy, he's wants to wear a loose cannon. Yeah, we managed to win the Cold War without fighting the war. Kind of cool how that happens. See, that was always the funniest thing to me. It's the easiest argument to win this way, by the way, to the people who otherwise lack sense. Is uh, if you have someone, let, let's say for a moment, you believe it. I'll embrace the, the, the notion for a moment that Donald Trump is a loose cannon and he has access to be able to nuke anything at any given time. Now, if I'm going to believe that he really is that guy, Am I going to be more or less likely to provoke that guy? So if you actually buy in to your bullcrap that Donald Trump is a danger, or as Kamala Harris said, the most dangerous threat to the United States is Donald Trump. That's cool. So terrorism, Russia even. Apparently Putin's not more of a threat than than Donald Trump. Not Iran. Uh Uh-uh. No, Donald Trump. And again, that's just cool. Nobody in no moderators go, really? That's kind of it. You said the president is, is more dangerous than ISIS, more dangerous than Iran. The people who chant debt to America, the mullahs, when you know they get together, they do their mullah stuff. Huh. That's kind of cool. Interesting line of thinking. No, I mean no, no pushing back there. But yes, how is it that if somebody is such a, a threat and such a danger because, oh, my gosh, they're just ready to blow something up. Uh, how does that work exactly? And, and why is it that two and a half years in, we have less war than we've had at any point going back? Oh, that's right. To Ronald Reagan. You realize that? I was kind of like, Obama, Bush, Clinton. Huh. Yeah, that's right. You have to, even George Herbert Walker Bush, you have to go back to Reagan to find the last time we had peace through strength. Amazing. Maybe there's something to it. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. In the first week of my presidency, we will bring together the presidents of the Central American countries, president of Mexico, to figure out how, as a hemisphere, we're going to address this issue because that is the root cause. Oh, <laughs> the hemisphere. 
as a hemisphere. You know, you, you have the folks that are worried about, uh, you know, new world order and, uh, you know, globalization and everything. And, and they're putting We have the hemisphere. Bernie now has uh, the the hemisphere as a uh, as a solution. We we need a hemisphere solution. Actually, no, Bernie, it really ain't not all that complicated. We actually just need to do uh, something crazy, like I don't know, enforce our laws, and uh, I don't know, have a border. How about it? Uh, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, that's the one thing. It's like Seinfeld was always my favorite comedy. Because observation, just everyday life, it is far more entertaining, far more entertaining than almost anything somebody tries to conjure up. And especially in this presidential election cycle, uh, there is nonstop entertainment available. I have uh, been cleansing my my brain of what I've been exposed to this week. I am your South Florida friend. I've been uh, down here stuck with the 20 Democrats this week and the nonstop coverage and uh, the the bullhorns and the posturing. And thankfully, they're starting to clear out now so we can be left alone until we get back uh, to the, the primary process. Uh, but uh, I am uh, Brian Mudd. I do a morning show, the Morning Rush WJNO West Palm Beach. I do the Brian Mudd Show shortly thereafter, WIOD in Miami, a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel, and I always love and appreciate the opportunity to guest host for the great one, Mark Levin, which, by the way, thank you so much for your support. Uh, it really does make a difference. And uh, speaking the Fox News Channel, if you haven't done it already, do this right now. You may even stop down. As long as you do not completely abandon this broadcast, you might do it on your phone, if you happen to be listening at home, you may do it there. If you're driving, yeah, let's wait. But make sure they hit up your DVR for Life, Liberty, and Live In Sunday at 10 o'clock. And also a programming note, the great one, he's over in Israel. That's why I'm here right now. And he has amazing broadcasts for you live from Jerusalem coming up next week. So you do, do not, do not. Holiday week. Don't worry about that. Tune in to Mark Levin because you're going to hear something that is really special Live from Israel. And then there is the uh, great and, and continued success that is the ultimate proverbial middle finger as well. Unfreedom of the press. Number one, five weeks in counting. Whole chapter dedicated to exposing the New York Times. And for five weeks running, unfreedom of the press, number one, New York Times bestseller. You just cannot make that stuff up. And it, it was perfect. It was all part of the plan to be so successful, that book, that the New York Times would not be able to deny it. And you as an audience really are amazing. You're incredible. And uh, it's part of the reason that I love the opportunity to be here with you. Now, the Supreme Court, the rulings we got this week, the citizenship question and, and this entire situation, we need to take a step back. The, the first thing is, and, and this is why it's so important, starting with education, that we get it right. And we take the opportunity, one, to make sure that our foundation is rock solid, that we understand the Constitution, that we understand the, the premise of this country, that we understand something like the census, that we understand the role of the branches of government, including the courts, and that we are, are then utilizing that knowledge to make a difference with our families, with our kids, and then to expand that knowledge to others who have an open mind. Because the one thing that continues to be a frustration of mine 
as many conservatives take a look to the Supreme Court and scratch their heads, wondering why one decision to the next, Gorsuch is peeling off here, Roberts is peeling off here, and what's Kavanaugh doing there? What, what's happened is it's almost like a spectator sport, except that it's something that's too important to be that. We, we sit back and we watch the Supreme Court, like somehow or another, that is supposed to be a policymaker. That's a problem, not the role of the courts. And we also expect people to fall in line with our ideology and our political beliefs. That's also an issue, regardless of the issue we're talking about before the courts, because the rule of law not really supposed to be that way. We know people are far from perfect. But the reason I mention this is the Supreme Court citizenship census decision that basically has us in purgatory at the moment with a somewhat unclear situation in front of us right now. There are as many people wrong on both sides of this issue as any I can remember recently. Now, the first thing is what does the census actually demand constitutionally? What does the census demand? And the census was created under article one, section two of the constitution. And it states that every 10 years, and we've done this since 1790, the Census Bureau has to provide an updated count of persons, persons in every state across the country. Now, that's key. Because here's where the leftists are right about this. There is no mandate that citizens be counted. It could be anybody. I mean, heck, you could have people that are just randomly traveling in the United States of America. They're persons. And what we got to be careful about is being intellectually and also on policy inconsistent. That's what liberals do. And yes, they use and abuse things like the Constitution against us. This is one of those moments. Yes, we know that illegal immigration is a problem. Yes, we know that the progressives, what they really want out of this is to have as many illegal immigrants counted as possible. But it doesn't change the Constitution. And since it calls for persons, we've got to make sure that we aren't arguing out of our rear end. Here's what's instructive. It doesn't mean that the citizenship question shouldn't necessarily be on the next census form. It does evidently mean that Wilbur Ross's argument was not good enough because had Roberts, who sided with the liberals on the court, wanted to put this thing to bed, he would have. He left open the door basically saying, your argument sucked, do better. But here's what's actually happened. Give you a little background. This is not new. And the people who tell you we haven't had a citizenship question since like the 50s, they're lying to you as well. The first time we had a version of a citizenship type question was in 1820. And the question was this, how many foreign born people not naturalized in this home? Okay. How many foreign born people not naturalized? That's the way it was presented. 1820. Now, some version of that question was presented on every single census form through 1950. Then you got Nixon, whatever was going on with Nixon, He dropped it in 1960. No question. And that's where a lot of the lies are perpetuated from. A lot of people, well, that's when it ended. No, it did not. 
There was a version of a citizenship question included in 1970, 80, 90, and 2000. The only difference is that it was only put on random forms. Up to 20% of the census forms from the 70s through 2000 included it. Now, the Obama administration dropped it all together in 2010. So that became just the second census since 1820 that didn't include a version of the question or at least some form of that question. So that's where they're lying. Be consistent. If it goes down to where the court doesn't allow it on the census or we run up against a deadline before Wilbur Ross and Company of Commerce have come up with theoretically a better argument for it, it's not wrong, not according to the Constitution. Nothing that says they have to be a citizen. But at the same time, they are lying, the progressives, when they say it hasn't happened since 1950 and there's anything lawfully that's wrong with it. Because here's the other part of it. Even if the question is included on the 2020 census forms, it doesn't exclude anyone, even those who are here illegally from lying on it. It's just you saying whatever you want. And it's also important that you know it's not a dead issue. There's no law that states that a census form has to be printed by a specific date. Now, what was getting ready to happen with this Supreme Court session coming to an end, the Census Bureau folks were getting ready to start printing the forms on Sunday. Now, the only thing that has to happen is that there has to be a completed census in 2020. So there is a window of time. And as the president has from Japan at the G20 tweeted, I'm sure he's talked to people as well to see about delaying it. There is reason to believe that can happen. So we'll see where the situation goes. But once again, this is a case where you have two sides to stories and one side of facts. And we need to be rock solid on the facts, on the Constitution, educate people, and not waver because of a particular political position. Now, what is at stake here? is the obvious attempt by some sanctuary states, none the least of which is California. As by now you're well aware, California not only has been allocating money to basically onboard illegal immigrants, along with their rising homeless and poo population, but they also have been even offering health care, right, to young illegal immigrants now as well. Anything we can do to help make things as comfortable for you and the homeless and their poo as possible. Because if we can get you here, in time for the 2020 census, then we can get you counted. Then California can steal money from every other citizen not in California through added representation. They can steal additional seats in Congress once they're appropriated through the census process. They can steal additional electoral college votes by having more citizens from the rest of the country. So, yes, that is the tactic. It is as dishonest as the day is long. And like the summer solstice day, so like June 21st, that day. Because, you know, the days get shorter after you go through the summer solstice. But again, know what you need to know. Be rock solid and then kick these people's butts with information. Educate your kids. The schools will leave you screwed. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd in. take out our executive order pen and we rescind every damn thing on this issue that Trump has done. 
<laughs> it's just, it's a guilty pleasure. It's kind of like just, uh, it's just like trolling's not the right word, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a Bernie voyeur. I mean, he's just naturally entertaining. I, I take out the executive order pen that is right next to the uh, law pen, which I intend to use for many laws. And I, I, I use the executive order pen, and I, I make it all go away. To hell with it. <laughs> oh, naturally entertaining. It is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Marco Venn. Now. Story I wanted to get to, I will do it right here. I put put this together a few days ago, I think it was. Anyway, um, we just got our uniform crime report in Florida. And since our politics are always in focus here, and we have more guns registered here than anywhere, even more in Texas. That surprises a lot of people, by the way. More guns in Florida than Texas. There you go. Now, we uh, just got our uniform crime report, and turns out, huh, once again, we got more guns, more people, because anybody with some sense that isn't tied to this show has already left New York for down here. More people, more guns, less crime in Florida. So according to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's annual uniform crime report, despite more people, we had over 45,000 fewer crimes over the past year. That is a 9% decline in crime. Now, that in and of itself is pretty impressive. But wait, there's a heck of a lot more. Part of a much longer-term trend. In fact, the FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, their report shows that crime has declined, wait for it, not just this year or last year, the one for 11 consecutive years. For 11 consecutive So from 2008 through last year, Every single year, crime has declined. Now, what's been happening over that exact same period of time? I wonder what happened. It's weird. Oh, huh. There is a direct parallel increase in gun ownership. Shut the front door. How's that happen? So here we are. Florida's crime rate is now at a 48-year low. This, while Florida's concealed carry permits are at record highs, along with overall gun ownership in Florida at record highs. And as I mentioned, we lead the country. In fact, we have, just with concealed carry permitted holders, 2.18 million. 2.18 million. 400,000 more people with a concealed carry permit right now in Florida than this time even a year ago. And yet... With more guns, more people, more opportunity for that gun to fly off somebody's shelf and start shooting people. That's what an assault weapon does, you know. Somehow or another, we have crime that continues to fall. It's a truly confounding thing. And so what specifically has happened over this 11-year period where crime has declined in Florida every single year? Bringing us to a 48-year low for crime. Oh, a 300% increase in gun ownership. 300%. Huh. So again, this is one of these classic opportunities, another teachable moment, where you have two sides to stories, but just that one side to every fact. This that I have presented to you is beyond dispute.
There is nothing, not any argument, that can disrupt what I presented to you. So the question is, for all the people who say that guns equal bad, how does this happen? How can you explain this away? And here's the question. With all the gun control measures and all the effort to rein in those evil assault weapons, do we have a crime on the rise or the decline there? How's, uh, how's California doing? Now, I mean, aside from the, the stinky streets of Los Angeles and San Francisco, I mean, we, we know how those are, are doing. Oh, you know, interesting. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody with an open mind would actually pay attention to such a thing. Or maybe just continue to make sure that the only people that are armed are the criminals. Funny how things work out. I am Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. because I think it's important we restore the soul of this nation. This president has ripped it out. It's the only president in our history who has equated racist and, 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 and white supremacist with ordinary and decent people. He's the only president who has act, engaged and embraced dictators and thumbed her nose at, at our allies. There you go, <laughs> Joe. He almost sounds like he's inebriated there, doesn't he? <laughs> like, he's stuttering and stammering. Stammer, all right, well, uh, you, know, you know what I envision when, when I hear him say that? It's kind of like, a, and I understand he's talking about the soul, not specifically the heart, but remember that uh, Indiana Jones scene where you got, like, the voodoo guy who, who's sitting there and, you know, he, he is sucking the, the heart out? It, it reminds me of that. That's, Donald Trump is, is sitting there, and he is sucking out your soul, and we get a feeling. By the way, the ACLU, I mean, they just suck at life. I mean, my God, the ACLU sucks in life. The one thing that has frustrated me beyond all else. And look, do I think Donald Trump handled the whole Charlottesville situation? Well, no. However, the one thing that annoys the crap out of me is the truth that is never told. Who made sure that rally happened in the first place? The whole Charlottesville thing? You know who that actually was? Because the city was getting ready to shut down. Oh, it was the ACLU. Yeah, no kidding. American Civil Liberties Union actually stepped in and protested in advance of that event because the city was trying to shut it down. They said, no, there should be the ability for free speech here. So they stood up for free speech in that instance. And guess who happened to be alongside the white supremacists on that fateful day? None other than the ACLU. But these people who suck at life actually have the president of the United States referred to them as and some good people. And where are they? So once again, for the Bidens of the world and for all the other ill-informed, unless you feel that the ACLU, unless you feel that the American Civil Liberties Union, those are not good people. I'm willing to have that conversation, by the way. You don't have to trust my arm too hard. But anyway, unless you want to say that they are not good people, then Donald Trump was right. 
So choose a lane. Choose a lane. And can be in truth once again. All right, let's go to Mike in L.A. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? All good. I I uh, was listening to you earlier. I couldn't get through, but uh, you know the whole uh, 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 judgment that, okay, the, uh, it doesn't say citizen on the Constitution for the census? It's correct. Do you, do you actually, uh, hey, Mike, did you actually hear what I was saying during that whole exchange? Uh, not the whole exchange, but it's bothering the heck out of me. Let me ask you a quick question. I'll yeah. let you go. Yeah, so, no, Mike, you're good. Uh, you, you are correct, and I did lay this out. I laid out the entire history of it. Uh, it is persons. The census clause to the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, states persons. So you're 100% correct that anybody, even somebody who would theoretically just be visiting for that moment in time, could be counted lawfully. On the census. So, yes, we, we actually agree on that point. My question is, though, isn't the Constitution applied to citizens? We, the people of the United States of America. So, uh, so where are you going with that? What, I, what I'm saying is they're, they're taking something out of context, I believe, and uh, the Constitution applies to Americans. doesn't apply to everybody in the, in the, in the world just because they're here. Uh, well, yeah, you're correct. But then again, we can set the terms of how our country is going to be managed, right? So whether somebody is here lawfully, not whether somebody is visiting, not uh, if we say persons, that's our prerogative. Now, look, I, I would be behind a constitutional amendment all day long, which is what it would take to change it from persons to citizens. I'm actually uh, in terms of the premise of it. I'm there. I'll amend the Constitution, But Again, we set the rules for this country, not anybody else. So it really doesn't matter what the rest of the world is or isn't. This was the way that it was set up originally. I would be willing to amend it to say citizens, but it says persons. Therefore, yes, uh, they anybody could be here illegally, which, again, is all part of the strategy. And a place like where you derive from in L.A., in California, where they continue to appropriate money for illegal immigrants, trying to onboard them, encourage them into California, do everything they possibly can. And by the way, yes, there is a lot of stupidity that takes place financially, but they're also stupid, like wicked smart people. Because what they are calculating is that by getting as many illegal immigrants into California as possible and getting that added representation when they are factored into the census, they believe that they're going to make out not just in terms of greater congressional control and representation in the Electoral College. They believe that the federal funds that they will essentially have stolen by virtue of breaking federal law to onboard these illegal immigrants in the first place, that it will end up paying for itself. So. To that end, to the extent that they are incredibly dishonest, unlawful people in California, that frankly should be held accountable because there is no, no state or local authority when it comes to immigration. That is a federal issue. And I do think we have to prosecute politicians that end up breaking federal immigration laws. But that's for a different topic. But they, they actually are making, I believe, a financial calculation. Mr. Newsom and company. Let's go to Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a great honor to talk to you, Mr. Mudd. Uh, you're kind. Yes. Um, I'm a 62-year-old veteran, and I lived in Northern California, and I lived in the South when I was a little kid, and I saw uh, bathrooms wide only, whatever. It bothered me then. And then I joined a great unit that all that really mattered was 
not the color of your skin, but whether you're going to freeze in the door and be able to jump out of the airplane. And what's going on now with this black, white, LGBT, whatever, uh, it's a technique that's been used for a long time, whether it be Stalin and Hitler. And what happens when they divide people, they're able to tear them apart. And I just think it all it comes down to, it doesn't make a, a bit of difference what the color of somebody's skin is, but whether they're willing to jump out of the airplane. And I've been screaming since, you know, inside since the 1960s about, I don't care if a person's black or white is what do you believe? And the emphasis is on race and whatever. I am sick and tired of this racial divide that's being promulgated by the left. And it's a technique that is evil. And people should just and sure enough is. come together and find out what's going on inside of them. And period. I'm a conservative. Yeah. God, God bless you, Jeff. And, and thank you for your service. I, I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, I hear what you're saying. In fact, you, you reminded me when you were talking my father-in-law, 101st Airborne. He, uh, he did a similar thing. He was uh, over in Vietnam doing that. And yeah, you, you see what really matters in moments like that, without a doubt. And I have no noble stories myself, but I'm from suburban Atlanta. And it was interesting because um, when I was young and, and not yet yet politically versed, and you had everything that was going on in Atlanta, and it was a big deal, local news and everything, all the racial tensions and civil rights movement, the whole I always thought that it was exaggerated for TV, even as a, a, a young child, because the black kids that I knew, it wasn't like that. And I was in suburban land and not downtown at that point. But then when I was even a little bit older, I still thought it was exaggerated because I wanted to play football. Ended up playing football and baseball at a young age. And where I lived, I was too young to be able to play football. So my dad ended up taking me to a uh, neighboring location that did uh, allow me to play football. I happened to be the only white player in that particular team. I can't remember one moment, one moment where it was ever a thing for any of us. We were a good team. We won. We had fun. And, you know, it it is unfortunate that we have reverted back to the lowest form of the human condition to try to separate people on those types of factors. And it's this is something that I, I will speak to with a frequent regularity on racial topics. The, the most annoying thing to me, as so many Democrats like to latch on to Martin Luther King and to his message, how about using it? He dreamed of a day when we would not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But where does that happen? We're within Democrat politics where they are constantly using identity. Identity by race, identity by gender, identity by sexuality. They, every politician and every progressive that engages in that conversation is defying the wishes of Martin Luther King Jr., and it's beyond dispute. They're the antithesis of what he stood for. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris... They are the antithesis 
of what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. All the others sit there and race bay and play those games. Let's go to Jeff in Texas. Jeff, go. Good evening. Hey. Uh, I read Article 1, Section 2, and it said persons of the several, several states. It does not say persons in the several states. And when you say we the people of the United States of America, it means you have an allegiance to the United States and have no allegiance to any other government. I, I, I agree with you. Jeff, what you're saying, again, is correct, and I agree with you. But because it's persons and because the courts haven't vetted what you're talking about, it has been accepted that anybody, any population, and census has counted uh, people that have not been here lawfully and any anybody in a location, it, it they have accounted for it, and it has been allowed. So until and unless that specific provision that you're talking about would go through the courts, and and uh, you know come out with a resolution, it it's not applied that way. Again, this is one of those moments where I would actually I would actually go all the way to the constitutional amendment process and say, citizen, I hear you. We're wanting something that isn't being interpreted that way. Uh, so that's that's the bigger issue. And the way I want to give you a. A political update right here uh, before we wrap up this particular segment. Something I end up doing every week uh, with my local shows. And the first thing to know about, and then a little bit of a spoiler alert, Donald Trump is is likely to win re-election. And oh, why, why is that? Well, first thing is because 65% of presidents who run for election win. So there is an incumbency advantage. That's number one. But one of the other things we're able to do and uh, take a look at where and you're going to continue to see a lot more about the polls and everything else. And I know everybody is cynical about the polls. You should be with people who don't know what they represent or don't know how to use them. But I like to say I've not made a career out of being wrong. And, for example, if we go back to the 2016 election, I did have Donald Trump winning the Electoral College, Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote. If you go back even to you know something as, as recent as uh, the, the previous election cycle, ended up having many different outcomes, including like in, in Florida. The two races at the top of the ticket, uh, that where we ended up having our Republican governor and our Republican senator win, including flipping a Democrat seat in the Senate in Florida during that election, laid out exactly how that would happen and why the polls are wrong. So the, the point here is people who just throw out polls without context, uh, that's not always helpful. So what we can do is we can take a look at the average of the performance of a president at this point in time and take a look at what's happened with presidents in that situation previously. And what we see is that the average, based upon all polling that's out there, all accredited polling, Donald Trump would have about 56% chance of winning re-election next year. But one thing that's been interesting about him, the more informed and engaged someone is politically, the more likely they are to vote for him. So among likely voters, President Trump has a 69% chance of winning re-election next year, which is above average. So here's the interesting thing to, to analyze. And it also shows you where the opportunity is for Democrats. Not that I should really give a a strategy idea here, but if you take a look at the president's performance being best among likely voters, he is performing even higher at this point in his presidency with them than Presidents Clinton and Obama. And as we know, they won rather handily. Now, since his weak point 
is a non-likely voter. The best candidate, to the extent that they can exact a different outcome, remember, this will always be mostly about Donald Trump, the best opportunity they have is someone who can convert a non-likely voter into a likely voter. And the irony is that is probably not Joe Biden. In fact, you can make a case that almost anybody has a better chance on the left of recruiting more voters into the party uh, than, than old Joe. So even though he had been pulling theoretically the best against Donald Trump, there's a solid case that suggests that Joe Biden would be the easiest candidate for Donald Trump to beat, which is probably why you have seen the sharp knives come out, not just from the other candidates debating, but also from the news media as well. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. like Amazon, trillion dollar tech companies paying literally zero in taxes while they're closing 30% of our stores. Now, we need to put the American people in position to benefit from all these innovations in other parts of the economy. And if we had a value-added tax at even half the European level, it would generate over $800 billion in new revenue. Well, the voice of one Andrew Yang, who would be like the Democrats' version of an attempted Donald Trump this time around. A business guy, VC guy, he is uh, a progressive, and he is, yes, the universal income guy and he was trying to make the case there and uh, not exactly given much of an opportunity at the debate and don't think there was really a whole lot of traction there but it does segue into something that i would be remiss if i didn't address something that has been outrageous during the course of this week is how the mainstream news media and the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission it's not what they present you with a lot of that is you know absurd enough on its face but if you're presented with something and you are informed you know you're being presented with crap when you get it. When you don't know something, you just don't know. And when Project Veritas had their expose that they released earlier this week that showed systematically how Google had gone about biased programming of their algorithms. You always hear, oh, you know, it's not biased because they're algorithms. Facebook's played that game too with like the newsfeed. Well, bull crap. The algorithms are, are only as altruistic as the people who program the algorithms. So what happened is that a whistleblower at Google ended up coming to Project Veritas with the literal blueprints of a project called ML Fairness, which began early in 2017 after Google's horror about the 2016 election cycle. And all throughout this expose that runs about 25 minutes, you ended up having not just the whistleblower that ended up showing chapter in verse with the blueprints, how they were programming bias into search results, but even walking you through things that you could do and search for that would show you that you could test yourself demonstrating that it's very real. Then you had one of the top people of the project that admitted that they were trying to prevent another Trump situation and that the news media has buried that outrageous. If you haven't caught it already, make sure you check out the Project Veritas expose on Google. Otherwise, make sure you got Life, Liberty, and Levin, 10 o'clock Sunday, the Fox News Channel. Always an honor and pleasure, Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Have a great, great weekend. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.